Previously on Transformers University, Buster Witwicky has the creation matrix locked in his brain. Optimus Prime is headless and held captive by Shockwave, and the Autobots need to figure out how to rescue their leader. We're talking Marvel Comics Transformers 1985 as we continue here on Transformers University. Hello, my friend. It's time to call Jack Bauer. This is episode 24 of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, and today we're getting back into the Marvel Comics continuity from Generation 1. Today we're covering issues 9 through 12. And for those in the UK, that is issues 33 through 40. And first off, I want to thank all of the students enrolled in our Patreon Thank you so much for helping support the show. And if you'd like to help support the show on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash tfuinfo. That is patreon.com slash tfuinfo. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the show. You can hop on and hop off whenever you like. And you will have gotten to hear this show at least 24 hours in advance. Um, in fact, the previous episode, episode 23, uh, that went up about three days before uh, it went out to the general public. So uh, uh, there's definitely some membership privileges there, plus exclusive polls, exclusive photos, exclusive uh, podcasts, and other content as well. And you get to be part of so much, uh, like our recent Transformers 2018 Hall of Fame voting. Everyone there uh, at the $2 and up level got to put in an extra vote for the Hall of Fame. If you haven't joined up yet, then please swing on by. And if you've joined up and already left, I thank you for your support. And if you're still a member and still a student enrolled at our Patreon, again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, you help make this show, the website, and our sister show, TFU News and Views, you make them all possible. All right, on to the Marvel comics, and we're going to start with issue nine. So the staff on issue nine, a couple of new faces, a couple of old faces. So the writer, Bob Budiansky, Colors by Nell Yamtov, letters by Rick Parker. All those folks have been part of the comic before. But we have a new artist named Mike Manley. Uh, it's actually his first Marvel work and the only time he ever worked on Transformers. But uh, he would go on to have a very uh, long career in comics. Uh, inks by, and I'm going to put this in quotes, M. Hands. Now, M. Hands in a Marvel comic stood for many hands. And many hands means that a number of inkers... Uh, split the work between them for all of the art in the book. Edits on this issue by Jim Owsley, a.k.a. Christopher Priest. And the UK version of this comic, uh, issue 33, which is the first half of this story, covered by John Higgins, uh, most notable for his uh, coloring work on uh, the legendary graphic novels, Watchmen and the Killing Joke for DC Comics. And uh, cover 34 is an adapted version of uh, the U.S. cover for number 9. Now, for more on issue number 9, I'm going to hand it over to my good buddy, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Sea Man. Hey folks, Salty Sea Man here, emphasis ants, uh, talking about Transformer Comics issue number 9. Now this issue is... Uh, very uh, special and sentimental to me because it was the first issue I ever got of the comic series. 
course, I had been watching the cartoon for uh, probably close to a year. And, uh, you know, I didn't, wasn't even aware a comic existed. And I had a handful of toys by this point. But, uh, you know, I was very excited. My mom came home from the drugstore. Uh, big handful of comics as she did. You know, she went and got her prescriptions every three weeks, month, whatever. I get a big stack of comics usually. Uh, Kitty friendly. I was about eight or nine at the time. So it was like Archie, uh, the star comic line from uh, Marvel, Harvey Comics, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and one day I got a Transformer comic. And I was like, excited, like, oh boy, Transformers have a comic. Hooray. I was uh, very confused by it, as uh, you can imagine jumping in on issue nine here. Uh, a lot of things going on. Uh, luckily, the Marvel method of uh, giving a lot of crazy exposition, which they get a kind of they get a lot of flack for, but uh, I mean, honestly, it helped me because I immediately, you know, could figure out okay, the Autobots just got out of being in some kind of uh, bad trouble, which of course was uh, you know Shockwave had basically taken all of them offline, but Ratchet, uh, Shockwave was in charge, and why he had beaten Megatron, who was now missing. I didn't really know the backstory on that until, you know, I eventually went and got all the back issues uh, through, uh, if anyone remembers, there used to be these, like, uh, you know, pre-bundled packs of comics. I think they were, like, four or five bucks for six. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting, you know, one through uh, eight through that way. And I eventually filled in the gaps of what I didn't know. But uh, focusing on this issue, you know, this this is... Uh, you know, it was interesting trying to figure out what was going on, what the storyline was going on here, because I, I immediately figured, okay, this is a different uh, continuity, even if I didn't know the word back then, than the cartoon. And uh, as a kid, I was very accepting of that kind of thing. Obviously, the comic books weren't going to be the same as the cartoon. And uh, it, it was a really interesting issue to kind of dive into. And, uh, you know, we'll just kind of go down what's going on in here as, uh, you know, essentially we, we, we just... This issue is the Autobots are back online, they're ready for action, but they need a fuel source. One of the early uh, bits of Transformers uh, stories was, over, was either Decepticons getting fuel as a rule, and here we get a little bit of the Autobots trying to get fuel, which is interesting. Uh, just one of the differences with the comic and the cartoon was you know, how the, uh, the world viewed them, and the comics was very different as... For most of the run, and especially here in the early bit, they, you know, they weren't really that, the, the world really didn't know exactly what was going on with these giant robots. They just kind of all got thrown in the same category, and since the Decepticons are doing bad things, all the kind of, all the, all the Transformers are kind of looked at in a poor light. You know, the, the cartoon established pretty quickly in the miniseries that uh, the world figured out the Autobots were the good guys, the Decepticons were the bad guys, and the Autobots, you know, uh, we assume, and though it was never clearly stated, we're getting their fuel sources from, uh, you know, the world governments, possibly the U.S. government, giving, seeing how buddy buddy they were. But in this issue, we see very specifically is like, hey, we need to we need to make friends and contacts with these humans. So one of the first things they're going to do is Jazz decides to, uh, you know, he's going to go out and get this guy GB Black Blackrock who, you know, has already been around in the comic, you know, his, it, it's his facilities have been taken over by Shockwave and the Decepticons. So obviously he's not very happy with the robots at all. They've, uh, they've crippled his, uh, number one, uh, you know, engineer, computer, uh, scientist, uh, Josie Beller, 
who will become circuit breaker in this issue. We'll get to her in a second, but it is kind of interesting. We get a little bit of interesting uh, interaction. We, we see get a bit of Jazz's personality. He has been established through all the continuities as being a, uh, you know, a, a lover of Earth culture, especially music. And here we see right at the beginning, he uh, he won't transform because uh, he's jamming out to some Madonna, Material Girl specifically. Uh, very interesting. Considering a few issues later, they would go to a a a, a XP of Bruce Springsteen. They wouldn't use his real uh, name, or and they're all kind of uh, weird all type parodies of his songs. And here we get straight up Material Girl lyrics and Jazz's love, and using slang which confuses the Autobots. I don't know how exactly that works because I assume they talking in their, they, I assume they talk in their own language and we're just getting the English translation of it when they're by themselves. But uh, it, it's comics, you know. You just kind of go along with it. Uh, we also we see GB Blackrock as uh, he has a a sports car uh, kind of hobby, and he's running around the racetrack. He gets word the uh, the military is mad that he's trying to build this uh, anti uh, robot gun. Uh, I think GB Blackrock here is a uh, he he is also an XP of some kind of famous uh, millionaire of the day. I'm not. If I knew who it was, I, I've forgotten over time, but, you know, it'd be the equivalent of, uh, you know, kind of uh, parroting Elon Musk. Uh, maybe it was the uh, the DeLorean guy. I'm not sure, but uh, it, it, it's interesting to it's interesting to kind of see that. And there's also parallels here to Tony Stark a bit. But uh, the, the, the basic plot line is the Autobots need fuel. Uh, GB Blackrock is building this weapon. Uh, the Decepticons hear about it. Shockwave is at first pretty dismissal of it. Starstream convinces them like, "Hey, we can, you know, we, we can't we can't show any weakness. We need to go take this out." Shockwave agrees. Another interesting thing as a kid, uh, you know, seeing Shockwave in this position, like he he's a bad. I was immediately impressed by him because in the cartoon he's just kind of a a boring. I mean, he's not so boring, but he, he he's just the guy on Cybertron. You know, he's extremely loyal to Megatron and. You know, he's the guy, every time they go to Cybertron, they have to, like, kind of get through his HQ, and, you know, he doesn't really do much. And here he's, like, already established, just, even though I don't have read the, the previous issues, I know he's a, uh, you know, he's defeated the Autobots, he's defeated Megatron, and, oh, this guy is a bad mofo. So, interesting to see that. Uh, Starscream being Starscream, like, that, that, that is very consistent. Uh, we get, uh, we know it's also Frenzy is in this issue and a, a character we don't see a lot on the cartoon. So it's nice seeing him get a bit of a uh, characterization. So Jazz goes and seeks out GB Blackrock. Uh, he, uh, Blackrock is uh, pretty immediately uh, accepting of the Autobots. You know, Jazz kind of explains the situation. Say, hey, look, there's two warring factions here. We're the good guys. We're the Autobots. Uh, we can help protect your, uh, your interests as a businessman, but you need to help us out too. You know, it, eventually this will lead to the Autobots. We see how the Autobots get fuel. They have, you know, uh, BlackRock's uh, company credit cards. Or uh, they just go to the gas station and they eventually uh, create internal converters from, you know, straight uh, gas to Ener Energon, I assume. But uh, before we can, uh, but at the same time, uh, Wheeljack, I can't, I can't forget to mention, Wheeljack was also uh, on this mission. He's kind of in the background uh, you know, he just, he kind of shows up for the fight that comes in later, but most importantly, we have Josie Beller, uh, we get the full reveal for the first time in the comics and the Transformer comics of, uh, of Circuit Breaker. Now, uh, probably has been discussed here on other reviews, but 
Joe, uh, Circuit Breaker first appearance is actually in uh, a Marvel, co- a regular continuity Marvel comic, Secret Wars 2 miniseries. It was done very deliberate because they wanted to keep the copyright to uh, Circuit Breaker versus uh, Hasbro having control over it, which I believe they still have control over it to this day, which would now fall under the Disney umbrella. Uh, but they have gotten rights to uh, re- to to use her in reprints, as I, I'm reading this off a... Uh, I do not, no longer have my original issue 9 comic anymore, but the, uh, the Titan UK... Uh, uh, have of the comics uh they 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 got permission to reprint her uh, issues and where she appears i believe in a previous reprint like all her stuff was done as text because they had didn't have the right to use it but i i digress uh josie is uh a triplegic triplegic i she has use of one arm she's not a quadriplegic uh but she can use one arm she's built a uh, a bodysuit uh, mechanical, electrical, and mechanic bodysuit, which makes her fly, can shoot electrical uh, power, she can uh, hack computers, and she has a hate on for all robots. And this is the issue where we really see her established. You know, she is not willing to listen to anything about, you know, that there's two sides and one of them are the good guys. She's just, you know, her mind is broken. She went from a very uh, cheery, chirpy, kind of, uh, you know, very excited inventor to just a kind of psychotic anti-robot would-be assassin. Uh, So we get to the unveiling of the, uh, of Blackrock's big gun. Jazz and Wheeljack are there to, you know, provide security. And of course, Starscream and Frenzy show up. Uh, Also, the, the gun was sabotaged by Circuit Breaker. She was, you know, did it on purpose because Blackrock really didn't like her doing the suit. He didn't want her to get hurt again. We get a very good sense of, you know, Blackrock is uh, very much, uh, very much has strong feelings for Josie and uh, doesn't want to see her get hurt again. So he definitely views her more than just a, a, a good employee, but, but as a personal friend. And she's kind of backing him in a corner. Like, you know, if you don't want to lose face, you got to show me as your new uh, uh, weapon, not this thing. Uh, which will, will somewhat happen later on in the comics, but this time you know that we get in a we get a fight between Wheeljack and Jazz against Frenzy and Starscream, and of course Circuit Breaker gets involved herself. Uh, I'm sure she's she sees neither friend or foe. Uh, you know Starscream gets a bit Jazz and Wheeljack get hurt, uh, but as a rule, if you read the comics, uh, Circuit Breaker tends to attack Autobots way more than she does Decepticons. Uh, the Autobots just tend to get the raw deal on uh, on Circuit Breaker than the Decepticons do, which kind of establishes her as a villain versus a uh, you know just a all around uh, enemy of all of them. Which I, I just think is always thought was kind of funny, especially considering you know her her, her main source of the, the person who crippled her was Shockwave, and she doesn't get revenge on him for a very long time in the comics. Uh, but that is that is much further down the line near the end of the original G1 run. But uh, for for a first issue, it, it was confusing, but uh, you know, engaging. You know, there's Optimus Prime just as a head and Shockwave's uh, base, which was uh, a little disturbing for me as a kid. Uh, we also uh, uh, kind of a funny thing I just saw re- re- rereading it, which I remember from a kid, is they they show Optimus Prime's body, Sans head, and the arc, and he is either badly miscolored white or it's supposed to be some kind of shading. And this just goes into, well, the 
the, the coloring was never very great on these comics. Uh, and this is an, but what it, in retrospect, it comes out to be like a very early preview of the, uh, the, the cab mode of ultra Magnus, you know, it's, it's all white. So I, I found that kind of amusing, but yeah, this is, this is our true, uh, on the transformer series is our first introduction to circuit breaker. We get some characterization of jazz and frenzy, which is nice. Uh, and this, this kind of continues on to the, just the very early, uh, and I think one of the better arcs of the original comic with a uh, shockwave, uh, in charge of the Decepticons, the uh, Autobots, uh, Sans uh, leader, uh, I believe Prowl is supposed to be in charge, but there's a dialogue box that looks like Ratchet is saying he's in charge, so I'm not really sure on that. Uh, by normal Transformer standards, Prowl should be the next in command on this, uh, but you know, it'd be another four issues before this is all resolved and Optimus Prime comes back. Spoiler alert. Anyway, that's all the Salty Sea Man has for now. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and back over to you, Ant. And of course, you can catch Gabe on his own YouTube channel, The Salty Sea Man. That's youtube.com slash recharge138. That's R-E-C-H-A-R-G-E-1-3-8. And a couple of things, uh, just to pivot off of what uh, Gabe was talking about. One of the things is Optimus Prime's uh, disembodied head. And it's interesting to note about the Marvel comic that for a an extended period in this comic, from issue five uh, and through a number of issues thereafter, once the ongoing series begins, Optimus is without his head on his body. So he isn't really the Optimus we know and love from the cartoons for the better part of a year. All right, a couple other things from my notes just worth... Uh, bringing up uh we continue the story with buster uh and the creation matrix being locked in his head and his control of machinery we also have more control of machinery via circuit breaker whose costume is made of quote metal tape and circuitry uh she can access quote unquote computer files she can fly and shoot electricity you know and it's interesting that we didn't see here a showdown between Circuit Breaker and Buster uh, being two kind of opposite ends of the same human spectrum. Uh, there's also a rift between Josie and GB in this story because she wants to be the weapon to put down all of the Transformers and Blackrock does not want to put her at risk any more than she's already been. The name of Blackrock's weapon that ultimately gets destroyed by Josie is the anti-robot photonic multi-cannon. In the fight, um, Wheeljack defeats Frenzy, the blue one, with magnetic powder. Uh, Circuit Breaker defeats Starscream as a way to help Wheeljack and then actually takes him down as he's saying thanks. And at the end of this issue, Blackrock and Josie uh, end their working relationship uh, with diametrically opposed points of view and that'll take us on to issue 10 the story entitled the next best thing to being there or as many people like to refer to it as dawn of the devastator as indicated by the cover and cover art now bob budiansky returns as writer for this issue and brad joyce returns on inks and janice chang lettering and of course nell yamtov on colors now a couple more changeovers here on the staff, uh, pencils this time by 
Ricardo Viamonte. He was a Marvel staff artist, uh, most notably for pencils on Crystar, the Crystal Warrior, and a number of other licensed products. The cover features art by Kyle Baker, who we spoke about uh, early on in, in one of the comics programs. And this cover would be reused for issue 36 of the UK comic. Issue 35 would feature art from Marvel UK artist John Ridgway, who we also spoke about in an earlier edition of the show. And the editor on this book would become Mike Carlin with this issue. Now, Mike Carlin holds a very special place in comic books history. He would be the editor on all of the Superman books, Action Comics, Superman, Superman, Man of Steel, uh, and, oh, it's going to bother me what that last one is called, but the four Superman books in the 90s that chronicled the death of Superman and the rebirth of Superman as well. Uh, that's a seminal moment in comics history, and there is a tie to Transformers from it, uh, from this issue and the next few issues. In the story, we find Optimus uh, being used by Shockwave as he witnesses the birth of the Constructicons by the remnants of the creation matrix that Shockwave was able to extract from his brain. Back at the Ark, GB Blackrock tours uh, the Ark with Prowl. Uh, in the medical bay, we find Jazz and Ratchet uh, being repaired and Sunstreaker still irreparable. Uh, we find out that Huffer is homesick and in the process of that conversation, BlackRock reveals that all of the phones at the plant that the Decepticons, Shockwave, and others have taken over, that all the phones there are bugged, and he can call and listen in whenever he wants. Um, pretty sure, in general, that's really illegal. But um, in this context, it actually you know, helps out the Autobots. Uh, we've realized that Prowl is the commander in this issue, uh, so I guess Ratchet lost that job between issues or, as Gabe mentioned before, uh, might have been a misplaced word bubble. Bumblebee reports in that the Decepticons uh, created a diversion around the military that were surrounding the plant, and six vehicles escaped. Uh, Shockwave reveals that he has also built a jet named Jetfire, and that Optimus is going to give it life. Cut back to Buster Witwicky, who is bringing Sparkplug Witwicky back home. Uh, from the hospital after his heart attack, Sparkplug returns to find his auto mechanic shop garage empty and that Buster had done all the work and even picked up a little bit more. From there, <laughs> we cut to a truck stop in Idaho. We meet a trucker by the name of Bomber Bill. He's been on the road for two weeks and wants to get home to his family. At the truck stop, the Constructicons steal all of the trucks in the parking lot and Bomber Bill, not happy about losing his truck, wants his truck back, wants to go home. Tries to flag down a bunch of cars that happen to be the Autobots. They roll by him. Uh, but Huffer, who's pulling up the rear, stops. And uh, Bomber Bill teams up with Huffer. The Constructicons are using the trucks to build a trans-dimensional radio wave scrambler in order to phone home to Cybertron. The Autobots come across this and attempt to stop them. The Constructicons combine into Devastator, uh, which in the text he's called a terrifying titan, uh, which is just interesting since the Devastator toy released back in 2015 uh, is the second of Titan-class figures. Huffer, the one who's homesick, is tasked with destroying the Scrambler and has second thoughts in the process of the fight 
Bomber Bill grabs his truck and starts to drive off. Soundwave manages to get a message out just before Bill drives his truck through the cabling, disconnecting Soundwave from the Scrambler. He lifts up Bomber Bill's truck, but is rescued by Huffer, who punches Soundwave and catches the truck with his other hand. The Decepticons retreat, and the Autobots help Bill on his way. And Huffer feels bad because he is homesick, but at least Bill can go home to his family, even if Huffer can't. As we wrap up this issue, we find out the Autobots are listening in on the plant where Shockwave is demanding Prime give life to Jetfire, otherwise he will be destroyed. And that brings us to issue 11, Marvel UK issues 37 to 38, story entitled Brainstorm with an exclamation point, not to be confused with the character Brainstorm we will meet in a few years. This one features an interesting cover in the U.S. as the cover is miscolored with a blue streak colored green and bumblebee colored red, which makes the first and possibly only appearance of red bumblebee in official Transformers fiction especially at least in the 80s when the toy was still on the shelf. Once again, Bob Budiansky returns as the writer. Pencils on this issue by Herb Trimp. Now, Herb Trimp, longtime comic book artist uh, for Marvel, mainly worked on the Incredible Hulk. Now, he also drew a lot of other interesting things. He was the artist uh, penciler on G.I. Joe number one and drew almost all of the special missions uh, offshoot book from that series. Uh, And probably his biggest claim to fame in comics history is he was the first person to draw Wolverine for publication. So he drew Wolverine's first appearance. I guess the character designs were by, uh, I think, John Romita Sr., Um, I could be wrong on that, but the character designs were drawn beforehand and Trimp was the first person to draw them within a book. Inks on this issue by longtime Marvel inker Tom Palmer, and this was the only Transformers issue he would do, and letters by longtime Marvel letterer Diana Albers, uh, colors by Nell Yamtov, editor Mike Carlin. So we start this issue on Buster, reading, trying to figure out what Optimus has done to him uh, until he's called away by Sparkplug, who got a call for a tow uh, on the highway and wants his newly found grease monkey son to uh, help him out with towing and fixing the car. We cut to Blackrock Aerospace, uh, where the army allows Mozzarella Mike to uh, deliver a pizza. And uh, Shockwave, overseeing the build of Jetfire, still no life. Uh, the Autobots are eavesdropping in on this in the meantime. And interesting to note here, Laserbeak in this scene, who used to be able to talk, now cannot talk. He squawks in this scene. Shockwave taps Rumble, the uh, red one, to examine his memories. Uh, which is interesting to note here, because so Shockwave is accessing Rumble's memories from the back of his head. And... This is kind of a a foreshadowing for something we would see in IDW comics many, many years later uh, that now has a name, and it's called nemosurgery, uh, where somebody can access somebody else's memories through their brain. Uh, during this little segment here, 
we find out that uh, we see Buster sneaking into the Ark. And uh, now everyone has figured out Buster's secret of having the creation matrix. Shockwave decides to give Laserbeak in tape form to Mozzarell Mike to bring back to the army, which is surrounding the base, with a demand to move back. We cut back to Buster, who's getting back with Sparkplug for the tow. He runs into Jesse, who we haven't seen in a few issues, and uh, Sparkplug lets him go hang out with her. So they go bike riding. Uh, just after they leave, Bumblebee and Blue Streak visit the garage because they realize that Buster is in danger. Eventually, everyone meets up at the falls. Blue Streak, Bumblebee, the humans, Buster, Jesse, and Sparkplug. Shockwave programs the lifeless Jetfire to go and attack everyone at the falls. Uh, Laserbeak attacks and gets shot down by Blue Streak, something we normally see in the cartoon. And then Jetfire arrives, attacks, damages Bumblebee, but gets shot by Blue Streak. Um, Bumblebee realizes as Jetfire gets hurt that he's not alive, that he takes damage and just keeps going, and tells Buster that the Creation Matrix can control any, quote, unliving metal. So Buster can take control of Jetfire if he wanted, and Buster ends up blowing up Jetfire, and then Bumblebee encourages him to rebuild Jetfire. During the process, Bumblebee had removed the brain module of Jetfire from the pieces and Buster could, if he wanted to, give it life. We wrap this up with the Autobots planning to rescue Optimus as Shockwave plans to execute it. And that brings us to issue number 12. Marvel UK issues 39 to 40. The cover for this issue reads Optimus Prime, Autobot Killer, and the issue itself is entitled Prime Time. Once again, Bob Budiansky returns as writer. Herb Trimp continues on with pencils. Inks this time by Al Gordon, not to be confused with the Green Lantern Hal Jordan. Al Gordon is a famed uh, writer and artist in the comics industry. Uh, he actually worked on three issues of Green Lantern. Yes, I looked that up. And uh, he's most probably most notably known for creating the image comic Wildstar. Colors, once again, by Nell Yomtov. Letters by Janice Chang. Mike Carlin with the edits. We begin with Buster piloting Jetfire to Black Rock Aerospace. The uh, plane gets attacked by the military surrounding the base, and Jetfire's programming takes over, uh, evading the attack, but the G-forces knock out Buster. Inside, Shockwave assigns Rumble, the red one, to guard the humans in the base as punishment. Then he threatens Rumble by crushing a lifeless jet, and this jet, oddly enough, is shaped like the Decepticon toy of Dirge, who we haven't met yet. So you need to note here that in Shockwave's plan to create an army of Decepticons, that the Dirge vehicle design was one of the ones in the plans, and this one was painted all red, whereas Dirge is blue with uh, brown gold wings. We find out that Soundwave has figured out that the phone lines are bugged, and the Decepticons decide to lay a trap for the Autobots by luring them to a nearby swamp. Jetfire then hands Buster over to Shockwave, and Jetfire is sent to the swamp to dispose of Optimus Prime's head. Jetfire dumps the head into the swamp. As the Autobots look on, they form a chain to rescue the head and reattach it to Optimus's body. And 
The newly attached head on Optimus's body shoots Prowl, Trailbreaker, Windcharger, and Cliffjumper, just as Soundwave, Ravage, Laserbeak, Bumblebee, and Frenzy, the blue one, arrive. Back at the base, Buster awakens, and we find out the prime head that's been attached to his body is fake and being controlled by the Decepticons. Jetfire returns back to the aerospace plant, and Buster uses the Matrix to control Jetfire, and he does so by punching out Shockwave. The humans at the base escape, and Buster sends Jetfire with the real Optimus head to the swamp. The Autobots in this scene are getting beaten very badly, and uh, you can see in this one big splash page of the fight, Prowl's arm is just dangling by a thread. It's actually a pretty neat piece of art, and you know what? I'll tweet that one out. The real Optimus Prime takes control of his own body and then single-handedly defeats the Decepticons, and this is really important. It's the first time since issue four that we see Optimus with his head attached to his own body and in control of the situation. Shockwave then arrives at the swamp, Prime and Shockwave fight, and this is probably a good point to note that uh, the cover of the 40 of the UK book features Prime and Shockwave fighting, and that one was drawn by Jeff Anderson. Prime finally defeats Shockwave and throws him into the swamp, but does not go for the finishing blow, realizing that Buster is still at the aerospace plant and in danger. Prime returns to Buster, and uh, he is being rescued by the humans at the base, and Prime transfers the matrix back and prime transfers the creation matrix back into his own brain and you know one of the text lines here actually references in the final panel the quote-unquote primal program and this is another thing it's probably inadvertent it wasn't meant to uh, be something down in the future but with uh, the beast wars era and the character optimus primal and some of the things uh, explored in that story which we will get to it's almost like foreshadowing of what's to come. So there you have it. That is issues 9 through 12 in the U.S. And finishes what is basically a full year of Transformers comics. We still have a few more in 1985 to talk about, but I think it's a good place to mention that. The interesting thing about the comics, one of the things I find so much fun about the early comics is that they don't focus on the characters you would normally see in the cartoon. So as Gabe had mentioned earlier, you know, Shockwave is basically in control of the Decepticons here. We haven't seen Optimus Prime whole for seven issues. Um, we've had to watch Ratchet lead. We've had to watch Prowl lead. We've had to watch the Dinobots save the Autobots without the leadership of Optimus Prime keeping them in control. Um, moreover, we don't see a lot of Bumblebee we have one issue here where Starscream is kind of a focus in issue 9. Uh, but he is not the main foil for Megatron. So there's certainly a familiar feel to these stories. But it's not the same story you get out of the animation. I think that's one of the things that makes this part of the story so unique. And so much different. And so much fun. Because it really creates a rich world of characters to enjoy. Plus, we have the Creation Matrix, which, for those of you who are familiar with the 86 movie, uh, is the inspiration later on for the Matrix of Leadership. But we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. As always, if you like the show, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash tfuinfo, or subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in and more. Plus... 
you want to help out the show, you want some exclusive content and an inside look at everything we do here at TFU.info, please join our Patreon, patreon.com slash TFUinfo. Now, I want to hear from you. Shoot me an email, info at TFU.info, or catch me on social media, TFU underscore info on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, it's TFUINFO. Reach out to me, tell me what you think of the show. Or leave a five-star review, or a four-star review, or whatever star you feel the show needs on iTunes, and help this show be more visible to a lot more people. Next week, we're going to do a little more fun. I always like these coloring book episodes. We're going to get back into some of the really weird things uh, from 85 that weren't comics and weren't cartoons and weren't toys. It's uh, I call them coloring book episodes, but they're also some storybooks and some other things uh, I've got planned. Uh, and you can catch all that next time around on Transformers University. Until then, I am your host, Anthony Bricali. See you.